Hey, welcome to the Field Trip Podcast. As always, you can support the cause for just five bucks a month. It's patreon.com slash Brent Comedy. Over there right now are some first looks to some episodes, legendary eaters, people who led double lives. That's probably been my most recent favorite episode I've done. I covered four people, two of them pretty run-of-the-mill, how you would lead a double life. But then the next two, I think, are some stuff that most people aren't going to believe happened. Because I didn't until I did my research on the specifically the double lives these people uh, led. Also over there on Patreon is way too high stories about people getting, you know, way too high. Movie Urban Legends, Confessions with uh, a friend of mine, Augie Smith, one of my favorite comedians, and then the stories behind the songs. It's patreon.com slash Brent Comedy. It's the Field Trip Podcast with Brent Welcome back to the field trip. My name is Brent Terhune. Joining me for the second time on the program, Mr. Stuart Huff. Stu, how you doing, man? I'm pretty good. Uh, that Zoom lady just said, Zoom recording is in progress. That's right. It sent me a thing. It says, this meeting is being recorded by a host or a participant. It sure is. Hit hit uh, hit okay, or I don't, I don't know what that message says, but... It actually hit- says, leave meeting or got it. Isn't that weird? That's my two options. That's where got it seems like uh passive aggressive. Got it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you you're uh the second time you've been on the show, but uh we've been friends for a long time. I don't know how long we've been friends. Probably would you say over a decade? Yeah, it's over a decade. I don't know if I saw your first show, but I definitely was, you know, early days of Terhune. You saw the early the early years, so the one early the years day. I hope most people have never seen. I thought you were great. I, you know, you played the bass and everything. I loved I loved what you were doing. Yeah, that would for you the listener, that was not true, but uh I'll let people think I played the bass on stage and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to kiss your ass at the beginning of the, of the thing, but you were one of those annoying people that it's like, how many times has he been on stage? Six. And it's funny. It was just, a, you know, it was annoying. Well, I've, I've been on stage upwards of, uh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, a thousand times by now. And I'm slightly funnier than I was back then. So I've yeah, really come are. a long way, baby. You have, you have, you seventies <laughs> woman. <laughs> I've had another guest on this show, Isaac Lanford. You, you, the listener, probably are aware of the episodes he's been on. I would consider Isaac to have a high comedy IQ. He knows a <laughs> lot about comedy. I would say he's well read in comedy. And you're the other person that I know that I would say is pretty well read as far as stand up comedy goes. And I don't have a lot of comedy centric episodes of this show because. Most podcasts by comedians are comedians talking about comedy. I didn't want to do that, but sometimes it's fun to talk about what uh, what I've devoted my life to. So, uh, Stuart, you have a high comedy IQ. How long have you been doing stand up? Uh, first of all, I didn't know that I had a high comedy I- IQ until this podcast. Yeah, um, I never thought about it. I, you know, I 
decided I wanted to try stand-up comedy. And then I just, I, I think it's like anything else. I became obsessed with it. So, it, you know, I, I listened and read everything. And that's probably why, because now I, I no longer do that. So, and you no long, um, longer obsess over comedy? No, I obsess over other things. I mean, you, I, you just, I don't know. I just kind of got over it or got tired of it or something. I, I don't know. I just, yeah. At, at some point, you just kind of stop. Or I, I did. I, I've gotten that way too, where you, you take yourself to comedy school and now there are legitimate classes you could go and learn about comedy. But, you know, before that, I'm, I know you're a big record collector. You probably would consume uh, all the audio and visual type stuff. You can get your hands on books. You just want to know everything about comedy, right? Yeah, especially when I was younger. Uh, yes. And just because I think it was a puzzle. Um, I couldn't figure it out. And it seemed so hard and so easy at the same time. Like they they do it. um I'm talking about like, and I was really into the sixties when I was a kid. So Nichols and May and Bob Newhart and Woody Allen and a lot of Lenny Bruce and, and you know, that, those type of things. And when you're into that stuff, you know, there's not a lot of videos. So you, there's a lot of books and, and then of course the records. So, and you could also check out Lenny Bruce's court transcripts because <laughs> what, yes. you, you could call that his act. I think at the later years, I know, you know, a lot about Lenny. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, my only thing that I say about Lenny is this, is people that say he, he's not funny or he wasn't funny. Um, you have to work with Lenny and you're going to have to work with some of the comedians now, too, in the future. So, yeah. like, you know, if you're listening to the later stuff when Lenny, well, I, let me say this, that stuff that you hear where Lenny's just reading court tr transcripts, that wasn't supposed to be an album all that stuff was recorded secretly by Lenny so he could play it back in court. Um, he never recorded. It's like, it's like someone takes you or records you now on their phone and then releases it as Brent Terhune's new special. Yeah. It, you didn't, he didn't want that. So, you know, but if you're listening to a bit of his and he's using jazz lingo and, and Yiddish and, and dropping names that you've never heard of, you can't just say oh, he's not funny. You have yeah. to go, go and find out who Georgie Gibbs was and, you know, who is this person that he's talking about, you know, and you have to learn and study and it, it, most people don't want to do that. So, but it's going to be the same way in another 20 or 30 years. I mean, Bill Hicks did a huge bit on Waco, Texas. How many people today know what happened in Waco? Well, it, that's uh, there's a, a resurgence. I think uh, Netflix just had a Waco documentary. I think Showtime has a show out. So I think that stuff has mm. come around. But it, what you're yeah. saying is right, because I was I love Bill Hicks as well. Uh, and if, you, the listener, if you're not we're dropping these names, I would encourage you if, if we're talking about them, they're probably worth checking out. But Bill Hicks was one that I would I went to comedy school with as far as listening and watching a lot of his stuff and some of it didn't hit for me because I was the, the references were lost and that doesn't mean that it, he's not funny. It's just, it's out of context. I think comedy uh, overall ages poorly. It's, it's not music where, Hey, Leonard Skinner is still pretty good now as it was back then at comedy. It's like, if you, if you don't get a certain reference, 
then it's like you I'm going I'm going and googling to see what that means and then by the time I find out what it is maybe it's not even as funny as it would have been you know mhm yeah but exactly but if you but to me just saying well he's not funny that's not an option you yeah. you you don't know what he's talking about so you don't have enough information to even decide whether he's funny or not if you if you can say, well, I don't get it. Okay, fine. You don't get it. You mm-hmm. know, but saying he's not funny is not an option. And, but you know, I mean, it's to say like that, that type of obsession where, you know, you, you get the Beatles white album for the first time uh, in your life and you, you love it. And, or any, any music, any band. And then you read all the liner notes, I guess you can't anymore, but you know, you you, you want to know everything who who is this person that they're singing about or who is this person that produced this or whatever that level of obsession uh helps you understand things more i do i love to find a new obsession because it's something to, like to throw myself into whether it be you know i got i uh, mid pandemic i decided i want to ride bikes again so then i mm. i got i got uh, bike and I started reading and watching and all this stuff. Uh, just it's something to ha- it's nice to have like something to obsess over. Yeah, which is I don't I don't know and, and it's like a, if that could be productive, that's even better. If I can turn that into something productive, that's cool. But also I've learned over the past few years sometimes uh, recreational activities are just purely for recreation. They don't have to have a a, a means to an end to it, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I, I agree. But I do I do think that obsessing over anything, how do you, you know, how do you change your oil in your car? What, whatever, I don't care. How do, you, how do you plant a garden? Whatever it is, I think it, I don't know. I've always been a fan of it. Even if I don't get somebody else's obsession, I appreciate obsession. I think it's good for the mind as long as it doesn't lead you to kill all the Jews. <laughs> and I was really into e-bikes, Stuart. And then wouldn't you know it? I wanted to kill all the Jews. <laughs> that <laughs> right. that's a, rarely a, a track that somebody's followed. What it? What is something else that in your life that you've thrown yourself into obsessive wise? Uh, I mean, I you know I let's see. You mentioned records when 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 CDs came out. I was a teenager. And I bought a couple. I did. I don't know. It wasn't the quality of the music I, or the quality, the sound quality of them. I don't have that good of an ear, but it was. I always liked when the first couple of things that I bought as a young teenager were albums. There were no CDs, and then I always liked sitting in my room and reading. And with an album, you had all the liner notes and all the stuff, and and then so I never really completely went to cds i i had albums the entire time and when they stopped selling them in stores then i i started going to junk shops and and so i ended up uh, not really trying but over the years developed a pretty big record iq to use your phrase Mm -hmm. um you know i know a lot about records that i don't even care about it's just interesting you know but i i tend to obsess over most things you know if i find something i like then i i dive in and if i don't like it i absolutely am not going to waste any time so when people say something about you know the have you seen the show wednesday i'm like no i haven't 
I don't care. I yeah. I'm just not. I'm not interested. I, I'm not saying it's not good. I'm saying I'm not interested. And the, when I'm not interested, I don't even give a shit. The whole time I've known you, I've never known you to be uh, within five years of something that's uh, pop culturally rev- relevant. <laughs> You know, like, yeah, and that's not a slight yeah. against you. That's just the kind of person you are, and I like you for that. Where it's like, if it's you, uh, I'd be like, "Hey, did you see the new Transformers movie?" And uh, I know the answer coming from Stewart is no, no, you know, is the answer. And it, it, and I don't know. I've in the last ten years, I've I think I've figured myself out more. It, you know, some and some of it's horrible to admit, but some of it's good. I don't have anything against the new transformer movie. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. I, yeah. I, I care zero. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't even, it's not that, Oh, that's pop culture. And I hate it. I just don't care at all. You know? Yeah. Now the show Northern exposure that we can talk about, you know, yeah. and my, I believe it or not, my Northern exposure IQ is very low. And then I know nothing about it. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, um, I don't know. I, and it's, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to explain, I guess. I was that way in high school, believe it or not. Like I ended up like everybody was listening to like poison and Motley Crue and things like that. And I didn't hate it. I just didn't. Uh, I was just like, it's not interesting me. And then I ended up listening to bizarre folk music that and it, you know what I'm saying? It, it's mm-hmm. hard to. It wasn't because I was cool. I was absolutely the opposite of cool. I was sit alone in my room, obsessed with something that none of my friends knew about, and I wish they did. It, it wouldn't even be like a trivia question, like something where it might matter later. It's it doesn't matter at all. It matters zero. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know who was the fiddle player in fairport convention you know what i mean like who cares we all yeah you know it's we all have that information in us but it's like nobody cares like i know the the first guitar player from the band weezer like i know his name you know but it's like nobody cares about that shit right (laughs) but i Um, i think there's something to it i really do i think it expands the mind I think it makes you concentrate. I think it obsession, as long as it doesn't turn evil, is I, I think it's a good way to uh, exercise the mind. I think so, too. And it's 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 like you need hobbies to to lessen the pain of work, <laughs> but, you know, pleasurable activities to to make the work and the, the rest of life not suck so much. Yeah. I mean, and taking it back to comedy, you know, when I was young and couldn't figure it out and and was frustrated because I just didn't know how to do it. And, um, you know, Bill Cosby's himself. That was the name of the I think it was a HBO special, I think. I think it's on uh, YouTube currently. You could watch it well, last time. I, I've never seen that, but I, everybody's like, it's one of the best specials ever. And I'm going to watch it. And I, I am able to separate the, the bill from the Cosby uh but, yeah 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 but it's yeah, like i mean that's that's important i think yeah i did i didn't want to start watching until all the allegations came out that's that's what i was thinking Stuart. <laughs> i like it I like <laughs> but go ahead with bill, bill cosby himself um bill i agree it, it's one of the best specials ever done he didn't write it himself he did he, he you know he didn't have 
you know, I think, you know, he had another writer with him and another guy wrote it all. Um, and I used to know his name and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, the, the one they released on HBO was the Saturday night performance. Now he mm -hmm. performed on Friday night also and same theater. So they, they filmed twice. They filmed two shows and they released the Saturday. It was a better performance and it mm -hmm. was, but the Friday show is the one that was on cassette for some reason. They put out the Friday show on cassette and I learned that and then got the cassette and then, hooked up my cassette player to my television and then put the Saturday night performance, the HBO special on the cassette. So then when I was an open micer, I would drive to these gigs where I was going to bomb and listen to the difference. What, what was the difference between Friday and Saturday night? Mm -hmm. and why did he make those choices and why was it better here or there or whatever that, that kind of, you know, it's almost like, you know, uh, analyzing the old testament or something breaking everything down to to try to figure out what's inside of it you know it's it's those guys who i and i'm that way with certain bands like metallica i like metallica and i could tell you i love this song but also i love this this version of this song from this concert in mexico city that's mm -hmm. that that uh obsession which uh the, everybody has that type of obsession with certain things and it's uh I don't know I hope something about, yeah. You hope so. I really do. Yeah. I hope everybody has their own obsession, but I I don't know if that's true or not, but I like to think think about it that way. Yeah, and and if you want to frame it a different way, passion. You could say somebody's passionate about something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I like the word obsession better because it it um I think it, it, it in my feeling about those two words uh passion is a little more fleeting mm -hmm. and obsession is has kind of a dark basement feel like i can't i can't not do this yeah i uh this this is not a want it's a need yeah it's like i have to figure out what's inside of this light bulb who yeah. uh, who who's the best comedians that you've seen live because i have i was putting a list in my phone just making a list because I thought it was an interesting conversation to have with comedians. Who are some of the best comedians you've seen live performances of? You know, I, I think uh, it's it's kind of odd with me because maybe, I don't know, like I, I opened for Stephen Wright once and um, because somebody got sick and and they I got to go do it. You know, it's not like he picked me or anything, but um, that might be the most laughter I've ever witnessed a comedian pull out of a crowd. Mm -hmm. um, it was, was it stunning. Theater was setting? A, what, what's what's yeah, the... It, yeah, theater. It was in a theater, too, which is very hard. Or to me, anyway, it's harder to really, really make a crowd lose it in a theater versus a smaller, more intimate club. Mm -hmm. um, but the shows that I've seen that are just like breathtaking to me are the ones that shouldn't have happened. And, you know, John Panette, uh, Atlanta punchline first two shows on Saturday are sold out. They love John Panette. Everybody can't wait for him to get there. And he absolutely destroys. And that's, of course they, they're his fans. Yeah. Uh, third show 
started supposed to start at midnight, started closer to one. Which is not and, good. The comedy after ten thirty gets it just gets harder. Yeah, and you need to be dirtier as the night goes on. Yeah, and uh, like I, John Panette is on my list on my phone of greatest shows I've ever seen. Really? And, yeah, and from what I know about John Panette, the guy's not really a dirty comic, wouldn't you say? No, no, not at all. He was a, a large man, a hefty man. Um, you know, a lot of food uh, jokes. Uh, you know, there's he didn't do a lot of material that would make you as a writer go, oh, my God, how did he think of that? Mm -hmm. But the performance was stunning. He was great at connecting with an audience. And um, that third show, uh, it started and there was like, I don't know, 50 people in the audience and none of them over 30. And and they're all chatty and loud and the show begins and they don't even really stop talking really. And I go up, I'm opening and, and I go up and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just whatever you're at work. It's not fun. No one's really listening. Occasionally they tune in and start laughing and then they'll disappear again and talk about their purses or, or, you know, the football game or whatever. And it's a John, get, get through the show show. Let me get yeah. to where they give me the light and then I can leave. Exactly. And I'm younger. I was a younger kid and, you know, I'm, I have a, I probably have a better shot. I mean, I wasn't as talented as John, but as far as them, the audience thinking I'm one of them, I have a better chance of that than John does, Yeah, you know, and John gets up there and there's a table of four that are just talking like it, like they're at a bar. They're talking loudly to each other, laughing, pay, paying zero attention to the show. John doesn't address it. He just keeps going. At some point, this table of four, and no one's laughing, uh, they get up and they leave. And it's about 15, 20 minutes into the show. And John, who's already done two shows, uh, looks at the owner, Chris DePetta, who's in the back of the room, and says, Chris, those, those four people that were so rude, they interrupted the whole show. And the rest of these fine people, they didn't get to hear the show. I'm going to do an additional 20 minutes uh, for these people. And people applauded because that was nice of him, but it's not like he was killing. He, he wasn't doing great anyway. Yeah. It's the kind of situation where when somebody just attacks on 20 more minutes to your act, you're like, Oh God, I right. got to do 20 more. And that's, I, I, un, I didn't prompt you with that story or anything. I saw John Panette at, on a Tuesday at a comedy club and I went, well, hold, hold, was, hold on. Before you tell your story, I want okay, to yeah, the, yeah. I want to finish the story because I haven't gotten to what makes it great yet. I know okay. I'm a long guy, but um, so he uh, and and Chris said he said I want to do an additional twenty minutes, and Chris said from the back of the room he said this is your room, John. Do whatever you want. And then John took his coat off. He wears a suit on stage. He passed away now, but he he wore a suit on stage. Took his coat off which I'd never seen him do. And then just dove into that crap. Not literally. He didn't leave the stage, but he mm -hmm. just, he just began. And he, by the end of the, they gave him a standing ovation. There's like 45 people left. And, and they were all 20 years younger than him. They couldn't relate to him. Uh, and he, I've never seen, those are the shows to me that you're just like, how, how did he do that? Like, yeah, they didn't want to see him. They wanted to see Dave Attell. And Dave's great. I'm not, you know, David tells great comic, but John is not who they 
wanted to see. They wanted to see something rowdier and dirtier and all that. And he got them and kept them and won. And I, it's one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. Uh, it's, it's one of those from a, a comic standpoint watching. And it's like, I, I can't enjoy a stand-up show the way an audience member would, because I'm always trying to analyze and calculate yeah. and see why did he do that? And he could have done that, but it's for, that's the victory I've had not, not standing ovation shows by any means, but it's like, this show shouldn't go well. And I've left after the show be thinking man that went really well and it would it, it might have been a seven out of a ten show but it was it was going to be a one out of ten if i didn't do as well as i did and what a, what a victory that's the to me vi victory in comedy is leaving the stage having like doing well when you're not even supposed to do nobody cares nobody even wants you there and you leave and they're like man i'm surprised how good that was Yes. Uh, those are the ones that the people that I've seen just pull that off. It's stunning. And like a friend of mine, Paul Strickland, used to do a bit about levels of difficulty and mm -hmm. he would do it. He would do a joke and then say that's a level one, you know, or whatever. And that's the way I kind of think about it is if you're John Panette at eight o'clock on Saturday and everybody's it's been sold out for a month and a half, the level of difficulty on that show is very low. They love you. Uh, yeah. They're there on purpose. Yeah. You know, watching someone in a, in a, and, and it's okay to fail in those situations. That's what I tell myself is like, I shouldn't do well tonight. There's, everything's against me here and it's okay if I fail, but let's see if I can pull it out. And when you do, that is miraculous. It, it's an incredible feeling. Uh, back to my story before you've rudely interrupted me interrupting you, Stuart. <laughs> I do that. Uh, it, it was a, t a Tuesday. Usually, open mic that I the the open mic I went to was on a Tuesday, but they they canceled the open mic that we knew prior. They said, "Come watch John Panette because this guy's worth watching." I was already kind of mad because that the, there's no show, so there's no stage time for me. But I went mm -hmm. and watched this. It was uh pretty well attended for a Tuesday. Rowdy people in the audience. I don't know why they're there. Uh, but they're talking, they eventually get kicked out and, and Panette says, you know, they were rowdy. I'm going to do another 10 minutes for you guys. So 10 or 20, whatever he said, but he did that same thing mm. that you just said, where he's like, these people were loud. I'm going to give you guys more time on this right. show. Yeah. That's Which, amazing. And it's now it like back in the day when I didn't have more than 20 minutes, it blew my mind that I'm like, this guy has more time. He doesn't have to. <laughs> Like that, that blows my mind. Of course, maybe now I could do that, but it's also, it would have taken some planning, but uh, we, we discussed how John is like a cleaner comic, but my two favorite jokes that I ever heard from him, both in, involved uh, the F word. And I <laughs> like, it's, they were funny already, but funnier that it's a clean comic saying fuck. Right, right, right. And like the one that I always tell people, is he's like when you go to a a, a store and you buy a, a TV, they want to sell you the warranty, and these warranty people are like the mafia. They'll you'll be like, you know, I don't I don't want the warranty, and they'll be like, God forbid somebody comes in your house and puts their fucking boot right through your TV. 
<laughs> and like I, I just to hear him say that, say it like that in that voice with fuck, uh, just and th- it's like that's the the joke I tell people about John Panette, but that's not even a good reflection of his comedy. No, it's not, but it is a very funny joke. Yeah, the, the my other favorite one, joke. Uh, oh yeah, oh you yeah, go, yeah, you yeah. Go. No, no, no. Tell me your other one. The other one is he. He, he was like my. My dad's friends or my dad was Irish. My his, his friends were Irish. And uh, I remember back in the day, uh, they're all drinking. And one of his friends goes, let me give you some advice. Quit your fucking eating. <laughs> 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 just I don't know why that's funny, but it's just so funny to me. <laughs> that's very funny. <laughs> I mean, he was a funny guy. He would make me laugh, you know. The, the bit that he did that I love the most um, was a story that he told. I don't know if he told it all the time because the only time I saw him do it, somebody asked for it from the audience. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was on an older album or something. I don't know. But it was the story about when he was uh, touring with the show, uh, what was it, Hairspray. He was yeah. in on Broadway. And they went to Italy with this show and he says that he had never been there and he was at the, it was his first time eating in an Italian restaurant and he tells this story and it's, I was choking. I was laughing so hard. I, I, a couple of the lines were, uh, there was one small guy that is the producer of the show or something was some small, uh, vegan guy and he died. And, um, because of the amount of food, you know, that, that, that they brought to the table and the, the way John did it, because he, he's talking about the, the quantity of food that was served and how much he loves it and the joy on his face when he's doing the bid. And he said, the waiter came over at the beginning of the night and, and I said, uh, we don't have a menu. And he said, let me bring some, let me bring you a dish before we get you the menu. And he said, you're serving me before I see what's available. This is amazing. And <laughs> so he starts talking about the quantity and then he brings up this producer, you know, a hundred pounds, five foot, you know, five hundred pounds vegan. He died. And John goes, he shouldn't have been there. He just shouldn't have been there. Has his Pass his stuff down this way. We'll mourn <laughs> him later. <laughs> like, and it's so much of his stuff was about food and he was no small guy, but it just, there's like, you can read jokes on paper and think they're funny, but like when he performed it, it took the joke to a different level. Yeah. I always thought of him as kind of an older school comedian. Like this is, this is a level of performance. I mean, a lot of comedians that I love, basically stand there at the mic or wander around on stage and and it's all about the words john was multi-leveled you know mm-hmm. there was facial expressions and performance and body movement and you know all that stuff and you know i mean the thing kevin meanie's another one that i love loved kevin meanie i i think kevin was hilarious and a lot of my friends are like he's too silly I I don't know. There's something about what Kevin did that just I think it was really beautiful. I uh I I saw there's like a Carson Tonight Show uh that he did and I remember watching that and I I can't remember or it's like stop it you're killing your father or something like that. It wasn't that the line that he had. Yeah, something like that, but I which that was kind of his 1980s reoccurring line or whatever. Yeah. But what he did in between it 
I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about it, but I always felt every time I saw him or, or listened to him, I mean, he's a, he, he was a gay man in a, growing up in a suburban setting with suburban 50s parents and a family. And I always felt like he's explaining that very well, mm-hmm. although he never mentions it ever. I mean, until later when he came out of the closet. But, you know, it, when he was still married and when Kevin was married and hadn't admitted it you know, to anybody his his act to me was like you're explaining what it was like to grow up you know isolated even though it's big and silly and and theatrical and all that i always felt like there was this i know this sounds stupid but there was kind of a beautiful sadness to to the way he did it you know well though when you're describing it it's like how can you could be a gay man in a marriage and not you know 1950s was certainly the place for a gay man Right. Uh, and it's like from comedy to come, there's true pain behind that. You can't even be yourself, you know, to yourself, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, Kevin did this joke that I always loved where he would say that there would be five kids in the station wagon and he was very theatrical and big, kind of like Panette, you know, very, both of them, very theatrical performers. And oddly enough, both of them were in hairspray at one point. But anyway, um, and Kevin's joke was he would go, well, there'd be five kids in the back of the station wagon and my, my parents up front and my mother would go, kids, kids, look at that man. And she would point to some guy on the street. Look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him. Look at the size of the head on that man. And then if that guy looked at the meanies, then his father would roll down the window and go, what are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but pointing out someone that's different and you're different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Your entire, your entire family, you're growing up in a situation where being different is wrong and pointed at and all that. And you're in the back of the car and you feel different. And I, I just always, all of his stories kind of, I don't know. To me, it was like, you're telling me a lot about, the way it felt to be you as a child and you're yeah. not saying what it what the hidden secret is and I, yeah i do know? love comedy where or anything where it's like hey i'm saying this but really i'm saying this but it's and it, you're, if you have to you're either you're gonna get it or you're not you know yeah yeah me too i mean i you know my favorite comedians, the ones that when people say, who are your favorite comedians are the words, you know, I, I loved Lenny Bruce early. Lenny Bruce was incredible. Um, Hicks. I, I, I love, I still love about half of what he did. Um, Dana Gould is probably my favorite comedian now. Mm-hmm. Um, Dana you know, Gould, a longtime writer, producer on the Simpsons. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think what a, just to attach what he's done so people can picture him without a Google. Yeah, he's he was a I mean, he's been on everything, which he's one of those people that one of those comics that has, when you look at his resume, you're like, what? How could I have not ever heard yeah. of this person? It's a big but horror I'm, fan, too, which so am I. But yeah, huge horror fan. Uh, the stuff he's doing recently with he became friends with the guy who designed the planet of the apes costumes and yeah and um he he got the guy to, to, to i guess to design one for him and so he's playing one of the planet of the apes as 
the joke is it's he's just an actor it's an ape but he's yeah. just an actor that got that was lucky to be in this movie and he's also been in a lot of other stuff you know and um he's been in some westerns he just had to wear a big hat you know <laughs> yeah it's like ve- very much how you and i talk about the the character i've done coney danza who is just a hot dog and not a guy playing a hot dog like he just exists in a world with humans yeah and by the way i don't know if if we want this on the podcast or not but i think it was two weekends ago i woke up in a airbnb uh that the club was putting me up in and uh i was on the top floor and the bottom floor it was this kind of very bad hip-hop music with it i don't and that woke me up and then i realized there's a woman yelling like very happy yelling positive directions and Mm -hmm. i was still half asleep and but she's yelling things like work it girls and get in there don't be afraid to bend and and then i realized it's some sort of exercise jazzercise some sort of class is going on downstairs yeah and then i i don't know why but in my head i thought what would Coney Danza think of that? <laughs> Just a, then, a hot, yeah. Yeah, and all the things she was she was yelling all made perfect sense, but were also extremely sexual. <laughs> and yeah, and, a, a very sexual hot dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, I started laughing and I grabbed my pen and my pad and I wrote down everything she was saying. And, and that's, you know, that's going to be used later. We can get some money to make this movie. Yeah, we're we're thinking about uh, dear listener making a Coney Danza something. So if if I've I rarely have I done the character, but I wear a hot dog suit and I do. It's just pretty much him doing food puns. Uh, but I digest. <laughs> uh, can you tell me? No, you uh, don't. <laughs> I know barely with all the hot dog meat inside me. Uh, <laughs> you said you you work with Stephen Wright. Is that the same show that you you told me about where he l- sat in the recliner? No, uh, I paid to see Stephen Wright several times. Mm-hmm. You know, and but that one was in Iowa. The the one where I mean that that amount of laughter that he got was just like I couldn't believe. I was literally stunned. I and I've seen great comics. I mean, you know, and Stephen's amazing. I, he's one of the few that I've paid to see, and I would pay to see him again. And you know, can you tell that, me about the recliner thing? Yeah, there was a, you know, he, there was a recliner on wheels, and like a lazy boy kind of thing, and pushes it out, and sits in it, hasn't said hello, pops the thing back. So from the audience. You're looking at the feet, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. And then he says, hey. And then, <laughs> boom. Both, everybody laughs. And then he begins doing these brilliant jokes. And everybody's loving it. And then the laughter begins to wane just a little bit. And then he pops that chair forward. So now, at that moment when the chair comes forward, he's just as physical as any physical comedian that there ever was. And he's not, he's a, a monologist and he's a monotone monologist. Right. And he keeps playing with this chair, you know, at one point, like gets out of the chair, which is shocking because he's been sitting in it for 25 minutes and now he's standing. So you're kind of like, Whoa, he's moving. 
and and then he moves the chair over like about a foot and then sits back down in it pops it back and goes that's better <laughs> yeah yeah like and it's it's nonsense it's nonsense but you realize when you're watching it not as a audience member when you're studying it he's breaking up the monology he's you know if you're if you're going to do a seven minute set or four minute set whatever it is now on you know Stephen colbert or whatever it is you know you can re you can stand in one spot and really kill for four and a half minutes mm -hmm. but you're, you're doing an hour and 20 minutes and not moving that you know it doesn't matter how funny the jokes are it gets old and yeah so it's it, that it, to me that's like you know i don't know i don't want to sound preachy or anything but like to me like because i used to just stand there and deliver jokes because i was scared I, I was really scared to be on stage and and then but you realize there are lots of different ways to your body is a tool yeah and there's lots of different ways to use it and when people say be physical they don't well sometimes i guess they do mean move around but there are many different ways to be physical so how creative are you that's what it boils down to you know if you don't like to move on stage fine yeah but you, you there are other ways to be physical without moving which sounds weird but it's absolutely true did you, know, you did you ever see uh, emo phillips do the trombone thing yes brilliant can, can you explain that to people you know he would come out with a trombone in a case black case and hey, everybody, what I, I don't do his voice, but he sounds like this a little bit. Uh, but his name yeah. is Emo Phillips. If people didn't catch the, the first name, Emo Phillips, like emotion, Emo Phillips. Yeah. And he would come out at the beginning of the show and have this trombone in a case and he would set it down and then, you know, do some material and funny, funny and everybody's laughing. And then he would open up the the trombone case and still doing, you know, he's still telling jokes and, and he would pull a piece out. It's not, it's not uh, put together. It's all, mm -hmm. you gotta, you gotta put the thing together. So he would pull a piece out and do some material while he's holding one piece. And this, he would continue to do this, pull a piece out, put it where it goes. And slowly over a period of time, he would begin to build this trombone mm -hmm. and the entire time, not mentioning it ever. <laughs> And then, and he's telling jokes too. So really good jokes, great jokes, just brilliant jokes. And you're laughing because the jokes are funny, but you're also thinking what the fuck's happening with the trombone. Yeah. And, and then he would get it all together and slide the thing back and forth, make sure it was working. And then, and then pretend like he was about to play. And then he would just stop and begin to take it apart again. <laughs> And he and would one by one. Case. <laughs> yeah, he would take one piece off and then put it back in the case. And then so the show would begin with him, you know, walking out with a trombone case throughout the show. He's assembling it and then not playing it and <laughs> unassembling it. And then at the end, he's unassembled it all and he closes the case and latches it and walks off stage. Just like I wish it's something I, I was like, I, I wish I would have thought of that because we're all waiting on him to play the trombone do the thing with the trombone and yeah. it, it just never comes what a just a brilliant idea it's it's gorgeous there was a i don't 
it's debatable whether this actually happened or not. Um, I've read some places that it did and other places that it didn't, but I definitely know that it was an idea that Monty Python had when the show was out. Mm-hmm. They were they were not famous. The show was on at like midnight on BBC for what I don't know the, the BBC channels, but mm-hmm. um, and no one was watching or so they thought and no one was also like like going through there. There was no executive sitting there. They didn't have to turn their show in and have an executive go through it with a fine tooth comb and make sure that they didn't cuss. Um you know, they had to go over a script, but the mm-hmm. show was just handed over and they aired it. Um, so anyway, they had this idea that at the beginning of the show was going to be on normal. They were going to record it, film it on normal recording volume. And then ever so slightly as the recording progressed, as the filming progressed, they were going to lower the volume. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you're at home watching, you would be like, what the hell? And you'd con Pre remote days. So you would stand <laughs> up, walk over to the TV, turn the volume up, and then sit back down. And then they would continue to lower the volume throughout the <laughs> 60 minute show until your volume at home was full blast just to hear it. Yeah. And then the last two seconds were at full volume recording. <laughs> so they, the, they were going to try to bust out all the speakers in England. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, it's one of those where it's like nobody's gonna, nobody in the house is gonna laugh. Really, nobody's gonna laugh. But later, people are gonna tell the story, and we're all gonna laugh. Yeah, and it's it's comedy. It's comedy to make yourself giggle. Yeah, which is really gorgeous, you know. And I think a lot of that. Um, a lot of that kind of stuff gets lost as you get older and you, you know, I'm, you asked me before how long I've been doing it. I don't remember the exact year I started, but it's definitely 25 years. It's probably 27, you know, but mm-hmm. the best stuff for me is when I think of something and I just start giggling like, like I'm nine or something. Yeah. Well, to, to make yourself laugh, then you, you take it to stage I'm a firm believer that if I'm having fun, it shows and then it opens up the audience to join me in the fun. Yes. And, and ultimately we're, this is getting like a class or something, but I think the beauty of comedy, whether it's anger, you know, whether if you're, if you're an angry comic or a silly comic or a dry Stephen Wright, Mitch Hedberg type of delivery, whatever it is. Ultimately, you're trying to tell the audience, here's what I think is funny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it starts with you thinking of something and just giggling your head off, then that's, to me, that's, you know, that's where it should be. That's the best stuff. Yeah. And it's the baseline, like comedy in general, it's always bizarre when somebody will say on the off chance, they'll be like, oh, I don't like comedy. What? Because what, what yeah. I'm hearing is I don't like fun. <laughs> that's what I hear. And it's right. like if, if, if I'm having fun, that's the whole goal. That's why we're all gathered in this room facing the same direction, except for me, is to have fun. Right. I had a, I had a table. There's three women. Um, 
that weren't they weren't happy when the before the show even started they were pissed and one of them this is like this was in traverse city michigan two weeks ago two weekends ago um they were crabby before it started complaining about this or that or whatever uh but anyway and they were really not happy by the time i got up there and one of them had a tiara on these are 40 year old women all of them it was a birthday uh, or she's getting married is a it's a happy birthday tiara okay and i you know i was like whatever i you know they're bitching they're they're you know not happy they're bitching they're you know whatever so i don't you know whatever and i just get up there and do my thing for about 30 or 40 minutes and they're not enjoying it at all and i don't mention it and then at some point i looked i made eye contact with the tiara happy birthday woman and i said i said happy birthday and and she looked at me like thanks like really kind of dismissive and i said is it your birthday and she said well actually it's not until next wednesday and then i said so take the fucking hat off (laughs) and and then she flipped me a bird and i said oh my god that's amazing i haven't been flipped a bird since i was 15 that's awesome (laughs) i was happy the entire time and they got really mad and stood up and, and left but in my mind like if I'm not happy, why are you there? You know, if if I'm her and I'm mad, I would have left a long time ago. It's I, it's like I've I've said on occasion when it's clearly nobody, somebody's not there for the show. I'm like nobody's making you stay. Like, right? You, you can go. Like, yeah. And at this, I don't know why, but it, when I was younger, it used to like I would, I don't know, I I handled it poorly, you know. But now it's kind of funny to me. It's like, look how mad that person is. That's hilarious. Well, and probably back, you know, back in the day, if, if you know, you, you you just want to do so well, you want everybody to enjoy it that you take it personally. Yes. That if somebody's not enjoying it, and it's really either somebody the somebody in the group got a text from somebody or a boyfriend or a husband that's not happy they're out, and now everybody's mad it's like they brought their own shit to the show right and and that it has nothing to do with you but as a performer you want to do well you want everybody to like you that that you're like i i want this to go so well that you take it personally even though it has nothing to do with you yeah i think i did a lot of that when i was younger and and there was a lot of fear involved you know yeah and and i also you know i wasn't good so um if i was doing well it was kind of shocking and (laughs) you know and i could lose it at any time that was it was like standing on a surfboard when you've never been on a surfboard the fact that you're upright was pretty shocking but you know in the back of your head that at any moment i could crash because i don't know what the hell i'm doing this is fleeting i just got to figure out how to keep this up yeah Um, exactly but i did i do hope that after those women left you gave them 20 extra minutes uh, stellar comedy got a standing ovation didn't you <laughs> no i did not I, <laughs> I i should have i should have <laughs> uh before we wrap up can you tell me about the marx brothers uh what do you want to know i don't uh, know th- it's just whenever i've talked to you you've had so many stories that you've read and you're such a fan and i i know of them but it's like out of all the comedy duos and trios and all that stuff i don't know a lot about the marx brothers the the, the mark we mentioned we touched on this earlier comedy i forget the phrase you used but uh, IQ? it was 
Yeah, yeah, but you said at some point in this podcast, like comedy doesn't hold up well to time or yeah, some, it doesn't age some, well. Doesn't age well. Yeah, a lot of that, you know, if you watch Buster Keaton now uh, or Charlie Chaplin, that era, that you know, the talk, the pre-talkies. The- that Chaplin stuff is hard to watch because I've tried. I tried to take myself to comedy school with that type of stuff, and man, like. Black and yeah. white is not a stretch for me, but somebody, some for some people it is, and then no sound. I'm like, oh man. Yeah, I mean that. I I agree with you. It's you. It's just a different time period. It's a different. The whole thing is everything's different. The technology and the the mindset of the culture is different. And you know, so I when someone says I watched Charlie Chaplin and I didn't find it funny, I get it totally. Mm-hmm. The Marx Brothers are the you know to me. I laugh out loud when I watch their movies. Now, um, there are spaces in between their performances because essentially their best movies were plays, comedy shows is what they were. Mm -hmm. And they would, before they filmed the movie, they would take them into the country and, you know, they would go to Indianapolis and they would, they would work them and, and hone them. And so they were jokes and, and bits and gags and stuff. And mm-hmm. then they would go back to Hollywood and film the, the thing. And then they would also always have like some beautiful woman who wanted to fall in love with this guy and something that had nothing to do with, you know, but you can't, I guess their thinking was we have to have some plot. You yeah, know? it just can't be one sketch after another type deal. Right. So, you know, it was just, but so you have to put up with like some 1928 starlet who's pre- pretending to cry because she wants this guy to love her or whatever. But it, it, that's the boring part. But when the Marx Brothers are on camera, it, it still holds up for me mm-hmm. anyway. And Harpo, I consider one of the greatest comedians that ever lived. Uh, Harpo, Harpo, the one that didn't talk, right? Harpo never speaks ever. Um, Harpo is chaos is what he is. So there will be, you know, to me, what makes him beautiful was there are no rules in his world. And Mm -hmm. it's the ultimate. How do I say this without sounding pretentious? Uh, um, uh, You know, some level of comedy is about breaking the rules not just the rules of comedy but the rules of the world yeah like you made a rule that you have to wear a hat on a certain day then comedians mock that Mm -hmm. Uh, because at the root of it all there are no rules everything's made up and the best comedians know that and they they constantly reminding you in one way or another that everything's made up Mm -hmm. um and Harpo is the, I don't know of anybody that's ever done it as well as Harpo. I mean, he would literally be standing at a hotel check-in and um, Groucho, his brother, is delivering some jokes and Harpo would just eat things that are unedible. <laughs> and and he doesn't move the plot along at all, right? Like, no, there's no reason for him to do this at all. Yeah. He just. Yeah, I don't know if you know, like it used to be like they used to have these, maybe they still do. I haven't seen them in forever, but sponges in, in a little plastic container that had, that were kind of moist. So you could, instead of licking a stamp, you could rub a stamp on the sponge and put it on a letter. Okay. Anyway, he would just, this is an actual scene. Groucho's delivering material. He's doing the jokes that they wrote for the movie. 
that also don't have anything to do with the damn plot. <laughs> and then Harpo in the middle of a punchline will just pick up that sponge and eat it. <laughs> and, and Groucho will look at him and make a, a comment about it. And then Harpo at one point drank the ink, you know, from the old yeah. where people used to have to dip pens in ink. I mean, it's just chaos in the middle of a movie and nothing that he ever does has anything to do with anything. And it's, 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 yeah. it's awesome. It's just you know? uh, comedy for comedy's sake, which is that some of the best comedy in general is like, there's no reason for this, but it it's weird. It's weird, weird enough without being too weird, you know? Yeah. It's, it's very relatable, but it shouldn't be, you know, in, in him, if everything I've read about them, like Groucho in real life was grouchy and an old man and he didn't like anybody. And Chico is, there were three main brothers. There was Zeppo was a fourth, uh, but Chico was a womanizer. He, he ran around, spent all his money, gambled and was a lot of fun and all that. But Harpo in real life, was he he was kind of like that character he you know he just loved messing with people and there's all kinds of great pranks that he pulled where you know he moves in this is after they're famous moves into a a, a big swanky uh, apartment building in manhattan with a doorman and when he wasn't in cost they were all in costume in the film so when you mm -hmm. saw them on the street people didn't recognize because he didn't yeah. have his wig on everything and there's a cop stationed, right? First day he moves in, he walks out, Harpo does, and he sees this cop. And he, so he just stands there and stares at him. And whenever the cop turns his head towards Harpo, Harpo would look away. And then he would look back at him and he just kept doing the messing with the cop. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, a couple, and he kept doing it day after day. And at some point the cop comes over and goes, what's your problem, buddy? And he goes, hey. And he like looks around very, you know, suspiciously. And, and he goes, if you need any, I'm your man. All right. <laughs> and then he just walks away. And he's like, what? So then next day, Harpo comes out and the cop goes, hey, buddy, come here. Come here. What do you mean? If I need any, what are you talking about? And he goes, you know what I mean. And just walks away. And then eventually he keeps doing this until the cop is like, what are you talking about? And he, and he says, if you need any. I'm your man. I, you know, I can get whatever you need. And he goes, what have you got? What is it you're trying to sell? And he goes today. And this is just today. I, there's no promises about tomorrow, but today I can give you a $5 bill for $1 and that's friend prices. All right, buddy. <laughs> so the cop, the cop is like, you're going to sell me a five for one. And he goes, yeah, but I don't want you telling all your, your cop buddies. Okay. Cause I haven't got a lot of it. All right. <laughs> so the cop buys a $5 bill for one dollar and harpo goes now don't tell anybody because i don't want my supply to dwindle and he <laughs> and he leaves and then so the next day he comes out and the cop's like hey hey come here come here come here and he buys another five for one and then he at some point harpo comes out and the cop's like hey come here buddy come here and mm -hmm. harpo's like i can't do it it's dry the streets are dry you can't find this stuff out there <laughs> go out go out there and try to find something best i can do you best i can do i can sell you a five for seven and that is you're not going to find it like that on the on these streets you're not going to find that <laughs> five for seven so the cop buys a five dollar bill for seven bucks harpo kept a little book and marked down at the end it took him a year a complete year but he made 25 bucks off that cup <laughs> 
just just like messing with this guy and mm-hmm. the guy the, the guy was a good sport to go along with this you know yeah every, everything about him is a drug dealer you know yeah and it's it's just like i mean he's harpo's already rich he doesn't need 25 dollars. yeah it's just you know why don't we mess with the world there, there's another great story where uh eddie Cantor, which this is Back to the previous conversation we had, if you're going to listen to Lenny, you know, you got to learn. Eddie Cantor was an old singer and a vaudeville performer and an actor. Very, very, very famous. Not anymore, but was at the time. So he calls Harpo and says, hey, um, I'm going to be in town. Do you want to have lunch? And Harpo said, yeah, come on over. And, and uh, I'm taking a painting class, but it'll be over by the time you get here. And Harpo really wanted to learn how to paint. Um, So he had, uh, in his apartment, he had a model, nude model, that he had paid to come over and pose nude while he painted her. So, and Eddie Cantor knocks on the door. Harpo opens the door, and there's this nude woman standing on a pedestal. And Eddie's very embarrassed. He won't won't look at her. And Harpo is like, yeah, I'm just finishing up here. I've been taking this painting classes and trying to learn how to paint and and he realizes that eddie's really embarrassed by this but he doesn't say anything and he pays the girl and she leaves and about a year later eddie calls and says hey i'm in new york do you want to go have lunch and harpo says yes yes absolutely come on over and he calls that woman has her come over to his apartment and then harpo gets naked and stands on a pedestal and has her paint him (laughs) it's it's just like what <laughs> like, just for the sake of comedy there are no cameras no one's no one's got a cell phone that they're you know gonna put this on tiktok <laughs> this is just one yeah. joke for one guy you know it's beautiful that's and that those are like the jokes that you that eddie Cantor or you know people were gonna hear that story from you on this show and then go tell other people about that story. It's like, you yeah. can tell somebody's stand up jokes or whatever, but that story is so funny that it's, it just warrants itself to being retold. Yeah, I think so. I mean, those are the ones that it's like that kind of comedy at Harpo. I think I, maybe there's been better. I don't know, but Harpo for me is he's, he's up there with Pryor and Carlin and, you know, those, those type of monsters. I mean, Harpo's Mm -hmm. work was just stunning and his offstage stuff. I mean, he, at one point he lived in Florida in retirement. He, they moved to Florida like everybody did. And he lived on the, on, on a golf course. His backyard was basically a, the the tee off of one of the, you know, holes on a golf Mm -hmm. course. And so Harpo um, decides one morning, he's going to be the first man in history to hit a hole in one naked. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like it's saturday there are golfers everywhere this is prime time yeah but he just he took all his clothes off and took a ba- like a bucket of balls golf balls and went out to the tee and just hit balls so not only is there a nude man hitting golf balls but there's also 700 golf balls on the hole so how <laughs> the hell do you know <laughs> which one's yours yeah yeah, just you know, it's, it's it's a chaos, like peaceful chaos. Yes, that's that's exactly the way I think of it. Is it's peaceful chaos, 
you know he's not really hurting another person he's just messing with what you think the rules are yeah yeah it's it's very uh i don't know like that that painting thing could be it'd be like a gag and like airplane like it's just a quick in out but that took mm -hmm. a year to do but it's like that that would be like one gag in in a in a hundred gags in a movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to devote yourself that much time, you're going to devote to that joke. I, I I'm all for it. It's obsession, you know. But like he he never spoke in the movies. Um, the story goes in his biography, which is worth reading. Harpo speaks is the name of it. Uh, he was vaudeville was. I mean, comedians you know, complain about how many shows or whatever. Vaudeville was grueling. Vaudeville was, uh, you know, you weren't on as long, really. Your your show would be like 15 minutes or 20 minutes or something. In between dancers could, or something. Yeah, like a variety yeah. show, right? Yeah, but they did seven shows a day. Ugh. You know, and they started at noon. And on a Tuesday, noon. And then you go all day, seven shows on a Tuesday. And... So Sunday was the only day they didn't perform. Uh, so it was six days a week, seven shows a, a day. So one day, Harpo, who had lines and spoke, it was Harpo and Groucho. None of them were famous. It was just another comedy troupe mm -hmm. that no one knew about. And, and then one day, Harpo, just to mess with Groucho, who was always grouchy, and he, he hated everybody, Harpo just refused to speak his lines. Like, Groucho would say his line, Harpo is supposed to deliver the setup, and he would mm -hmm. just stare at him on stage. <laughs> and Groucho uh, was like, you, you, you know, your next line is, and Harpo would just stare at him, like with a big grin on his face. <laughs> <laughs> so the entire performance, Harpo never spoke until the last line. And by that time, Groucho had just assumed that Harpo was not going to speak any of them. So when he yelled his last line, it interrupted Groucho's joke. And, and pissed Groucho off, who left the stage. <laughs> um, you know, and then the next day there was a review in the paper that said the Marx Brothers are, are a typical boring comedy troupe, except for Harpo Marx, who was the most brilliant, silent clown I've ever seen. <laughs> and Harpo never spoke another word on stage. He just it decided, was. okay, I guess, I guess I'm better when I don't talk. And it's much easier to memorize your lines when you don't have any. Yeah. So he would, he would just do like reading about the vaudeville days. You, for me anyway, maybe I'm, I'm just old and different. I don't know, but I laugh out loud from a page, which is hard to do. Um, but he would just do things like there would be a scene where there would be a setup and a punchline and Harpo would like, just walk over and take your cigar out of your mouth and start eating it. And it was all to interrupt to just, break the rules and, and screw the whole show up. And uh, one time he crawled underneath the, the rug that was on the floor and stayed there the entire show. He was just underneath there and he'd poke his head out and, and stick his tongue out at people and say, you're like a child, you know, <laughs> it's gorgeous. I'm trying to think of like a modern day version of that. Cause like, I just feel like there has to be like a Muppet character. That is that where it's like, they have no real role but it's everybody's favorite because they are the the chaos that comes in and doesn't even deliver a punchline, but uh, their version of a punchline and then leaves. We're all waiting for that moment, you know? That's a very interesting question. 
because it it feels it, you're exactly right. It feels like there should be a Muppet that played that role, but I can't think of one. Animal, maybe I. I don't and like maybe the show Scrubs. I don't I don't know if you've watched that, but I feel like the I, the janitor's yeah. kind of in and out of the show a little bit. Like he doesn't do a lot, but will show up and do a thing and then leave. I'd have to think about that more of like a, a Harpo, a, the modern Harpo, you know? Yeah. I mean, mo- most when you most comedians or or comic actors or or whatever you want to call it, troops or improv or whatever, if you say things like break the rules, then they think of it as, or we think of it as kind of like a Bill Hicks or Lenny Bruce or Carlin. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to say something that's shocking. Rebellion. Rebellion. That's the phrase break the rules means rebellion to us. Mm -hmm. True rebellion is Arpo Marx. There are no rules. They don't exist. You know, rules are if you're, heart doesn't pump your blood then you're going to die and those are the only rules that exist the rest of it's just made up by humans so i can do whatever i want you know if yeah. this cop is standing here and i'm going to mess with it i'm going to s- i'm going to sell him money <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i'm going to sell him money and 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 by the end of the year i'm going to make money off this guy yeah that's I wonder- true rebellion just and that like the law, it's a long con, but it, there's no real con. There was, but it's also like it's twenty five bucks, you know. Yeah, it's twenty five bucks, and and you're using you know drug slang to a cop, and his job is to stop this. And we all know that you know all that is just made up, and and you know what I mean. Harpo, so Harpo is not breaking the law; he's just messing with this dude, mm-hmm. and it's just beautiful. You know, but there is like you, you pointed out accurately, there's no malice in it. He never he's never setting you up to get hurt or get in trouble, uh, maybe trouble, but not trouble like physical. Like I'm going to try to kill this person or any, you know, or even shame someone like I'm going to say something. So, um, you know, this person heckled me, so I'm going to bury him, you know, mm-hmm not like that like if someone heckled harpo he would just get a big smile on his face and come hug you and probably try to you know what i mean like eat your dog or something and (laughs) i mean it's it's just it's gorgeous i i recommend to to comment to everybody i recommend i mean they they made a bunch of movies uh animal crackers is a great one duck soup is a great one there's a handful of the later ones where they were older. And quite frankly, they, the only reason they made the last three movies that they made were, was because Chico was out of money because he was, he gambled it all away and they all felt bad for him. So they, they said, yeah, we'll go make this, even though we don't know, we know it's no good. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's but, a money grab. Yeah. It's a money grab. And they did it for their brother, you know, uh, night at the opera is great. I mean, there's three or four there that for me anyway, I'll, look at a black and white movie from 60 70 years ago and i laugh hard yeah that's a feat to to today to make you laugh is a feat yeah. let alone 60 years ago black and white with a with a I woman mean, fainting every other 10 minutes you know <laughs> right <laughs> i mean the, you when you really stop and think about it like the greatest comics that are working today are they still going to be that powerful funny wise in 60 years i mean that's there's not that many people ever 
that yeah. that achieve that, you know? Because you know you could you know you could say Richard Pryor greatest comedian of all time, and many people would wouldn't disagree with you. But I've mm-hmm. gone back and listened to a lot of that stuff, and some of it doesn't hold up. But it's like it's not his fault. It's not my fault. It's just that that gap in time and history and experience and reference and all that stuff, you know? So to have something yeah. that holds up that long, what a, what a feat. I mean, that's, um, you know, if you're trying to stop me from talking, just yell, shut up or whatever. I'm, but, I'm not, you're the one that's giving me your time. So, but you know, like Lenny, people say he's not funny. One of the big things about Lenny that you, you don't understand until you read is comedy was a certain style you went on stage and you had a shuck and jive kind of thing and a lot of mother-in-law jokes. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was, a, there was, this was what comedy was. I'm not saying it was bad. It made people laugh. It entertained people, but it was, this is the way it was. Take my wife Let, kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And Lenny changed it all. And that is shocking to people. And you can't, know that listening now because what we're doing now is what lenny created you know so we're Mm -hmm. in the middle of what lenny created and so it's you you listen back you know but it's it's like when someone actually changes an art form and and then you go back 60 years and you look at picasso or something you know and you're like i don't get it well you you don't get it because you weren't there at the time yeah and you know. and also sometimes the the most significant things have been ripped off and and uh, remixed so many times that w- what was so uh, astonishing and such a shock at the time now seems tame because we've all stolen and taken from it. Mm-hmm. That it, you know the first time somebody said fuck on stage or we're we're talking about talking about the president or whatever. That was you don't really talk about that stuff, but now it now everybody will do, you know people will do that. But back in the day, you're the first person to do that. That's the shock, right? And it was I mean you have to you have to stop, which I, is very hard to do now, I guess. But you have to stop and 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 realize and think about it what it must have been like, you know. To I've met people that saw Lenny at, in nightclubs, you know. I've met four or five of them. And they all, that's what they talk about. First of all, they, every single one of them have told me he was drop dead funny. Like he was laugh out loud funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was shocking to watch someone uh, essentially be themselves, say what was on their mind, not my mother-in-law, take my wife, please. And that was an act. This wasn't. This was yeah, somebody. Yeah, stick. Yeah. And Lenny was funny. I mean, he, you know, <clears throat> he had a, he had a bit that I love where he is imitating a, and is, see that here's another example. He, he has this bit where he's imitating a used car salesman, but it's kind of like a, it's like on televised, um, cellathon or something. And I was like, what is he imitating? And so then I started to research in California at the time, they had this once a year thing where they would have like a ballerina and and there would be a kid playing a tuba or whatever and it was on television and there it was sponsored by this used car guy Mm -hmm. and this and so there would be a ballerina or whatever and then this used car guy would try to hawk some cars Mm -hmm. 
and Lenny imitated him one night and it's laugh out loud funny. And you, and I, when I first heard it, I laughed, but I didn't even know what, who the hell he was talking about until I yeah. learned it. But you know, one of the jokes was, uh, take a look at this one right here. This is a beauty right here. Now, this has only been used one time, my friends, one time. In a, it was in a suicide pack. And there's <laughs> there's a little bit of lipstick around the exhaust pipe, but that'll wipe off real nice. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it's yeah. Great jokes. Yeah. And it, how old is that joke? 50 years old? Oh, he's probably closer to... Probably sixty-five years old. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You know, Just, uh, yeah, yeah. He's selling a Volkswagen, and he goes, "Now this one right here is one of them German cars, a Volkswagen, Volway." I don't know how to say it, it but. You know, they, it, it was just used a little bit, taking people back and forth from the furnaces. Uh, it's got a good engine, but the upholstery <laughs> shot. <laughs> and like that—that th that was back at whatever, like not not far removed from World War II. You know, like right, right. I mean, you have to think, God, the impact of that joke, and that is, you know, that's shocking to hear something like that, and, and it's shocking and, now. Like, yeah, he said that, and you're laughing, and you. Well, it's a funny joke. I mean, come mm -hmm. on, it's taking people back and forth from the furnaces, the upholstery shot, but it's got a good engine. That's funny. Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah and it was like still relevant, but then, like we said, e equally, there's some stuff that I've heard of him. Like, I got no idea what this dude's talking about. You know. Yeah. And it, that's not yeah. his fault. Is it's not my fault. It's just time. I think. Yeah, he has this great bit about how he feels guilt about the amount of money that he makes uh, being an entertainer because he knows uh, in his heart of hearts that he doesn't deserve it and nobody deserves it. There, there are people starving in the world and he makes, uh, uh, you know, $2,000 a week telling jokes to a, an audience that's not fair. And and he says, I know there'll be a, a day, you know, because I mean, he, Lenny was Jewish and and he, you know, so I know that one day I'm going to be lined up and I'm going to be judged by God and it's not going to go well. And he's going to say, you made 2000 a week. What did you do? Did you feed the poor? Did you do? I just said, fuck and blow job and people mm -hmm. paid me. And, you know, and then he begins to do other entertainers, Pearl Bailey, who no one knows now, but at the time. Pearl Bailey was huge. She headlined Vegas. She was enormous. And he would do an impression of Pearl Bailey with, with God judging Pearl Bailey. How much did you make for singing that shitty? Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> 10,000 a week, take her tiara off and burn her in the flames of hell. <laughs> and, and then he went through all these entertainers, none of them. If you put it on, if you're 30 years old, 25 years old, and you play that bit, you're not going to know any of those entertainers. Now, now you would just change it to Beyonce and you would change it to JB Fox. And like, exactly. You get, you get, that's a, that's a bit you could update, but yeah. it's, it's like, and you would laugh. time. Yeah. 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 If you did that bit and you changed it to current entertainers, then you could go up and make everybody laugh in the audience. And if you did impressions well, which Lenny did, then you, you could take that bit, update it, and and do well with that bit. Mm -hmm. But in 70 years, when someone's listening to Brent Terhune doing that bit, they'd be like, Brent wasn't funny. 
No. Well, that so many people say that today, but uh, <laughs> well, uh, well, they're wrong. <laughs> well, thank you, Stu. Um, you you have a bunch of albums out on Spotify and iTunes. I would highly recommend you go listen to Stuart. Uh, I don't. I know you in the past. You've done a podcast called uh, Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities, which uh, whenever I've been on the road with you, we hit up an antique store, a junk store, and you're a big record guy. But you have like the episode I did of your podcast. You have a wooden leg collection. Yeah. So that like, that's the kind of stuff when when Stuart's talking about obsessive curiosities. It's that type of stuff. You have. You know, uh, just historical items, bunch of stuff. So, and that's, I think you guys did video versions of that stuff too, didn't you? Yeah, towards the end. I mean, COVID kind of killed the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but, but it's still available, yeah. those episodes. Yeah, it's out there in the world somewhere. I don't know how to get it, but it's out there. <laughs> but <laughs> it's like you're a, you're a collector. You have a wooden uh, mermaid from a ship. Yeah, that that's kind of stuff. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Like, the wooden leg, yeah, I found a wooden leg from about the, maybe a little bit after the Civil War era. It's, you know, and it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful wooden leg. But it's really, when you think about having to wear that thing, it, it, you know, when you look at it, it, it's so heavy and cumbersome. And, you know, and then years after that, I found another one that was a little bit later. And I was like, whoa, look at that. Look at the advancements. And so I, and it was affordable. So I bought it and took it home and. And then started looking at the two side by side. And then I, I tried to, you know, figure out what year roughly was each one. And so, and, you know, and as I found them, wooden legs, you know, um, as you, as I found them and, and lined them up, you can see the advancements in science and you can see, yes, this, if I was wearing this one and then they invented this, it would be a tremendous upgrade, you know, mm -hmm. and that's that level of crazy obsession, you know? Yeah. But that, like that's the that's the whole show is why I've I've enjoyed listening to it is and lo just looking you have a, a collection like man I love to be nosy in that way you know yeah I mean and I don't know I I I was told it was a good podcast I you know I don't yeah, know I'm sure it is but that's out there it's called Stuart Huff Obsessive Curiosity Stuart is all, always on the road touring and doing stand up you you have a, a brand new show probably uh, at least once a year. Or every two I years? I mean, pre-COVID, I got in that rhythm of, you know, about Lumping once every a show, year. Yeah. yeah, about once every year, year and a half. You know, um, I don't know. I, I I don't really know if I want to go back to that or not. I mean, I, I have a new show right now that I'm tinkering with, you know. So we'll, we'll just see. I mean, COVID knocked all of us off rhythm. The whole yeah. world was knocked off rhythm. So we'll see if it comes back or not, mm -hmm. but. I, you know, instead of getting one of my CDs, I, you know, I would check out, um, you know, a Marx Brothers movie and just see what happens. Just give it an hour and just see what happens. You're the um, only comedian I know that pitches other comedian stuff. Well, I really, Harpo, if, if you get what Harpo's doing, if you mm -hmm. see it, he'll make you think differently about the world. And that's a, you know, I mean, how many human beings have been alive that can actually make people that didn't know them think differently about their lives? I mean, I, I don't have that power. Harpo did. Um, I don't know. 
if I was someone was listening to this and they said, I'm going to go listen to Stewart's comedy, I'd say, yeah, you know, give Harpo a chance and <laughs> see well, if he doesn't make you see your day, just your every day different. I'm going to say give Harpo a chance and give Stewart a chance. How about that? All right. Fair enough. Stewart, thanks for being on the show, man. I love you, Brent. I love you too. It's the Field Trip Podcast with Brent.